Hello, welcome back. Uh, you're listening to uh, John Koch's podcast on how to invest in the stock market, the beginner's guide. Well, if you've been listening this long, you know that I have many mantras for, mantras for investing. So far, I've got 10 of them. The first one is, I made the money, I'm going to manage it. The second one is, nobody cares about your money more than you do. Number three, believe in yourself. If you don't believe in yourself, who will? Number four, the stock market is like watching a little boy with a yo-yo walking up a hill. Look at the hill and not the yo-yo, but that's what we always look at. Number five, be decisive. The roadways are full of indecisive flat squirrels. Number six, you don't know what you don't know. Don't beat yourself up for it. Number seven, you can't time the markets. Number eight, it's a journey, not a destination. Number nine, if you don't have a plan to reach a goal, then the goal is just a fantasy, not a goal. Last, this is Yogi Berra's <laughs> paraphrased, it's hard to predict what will happen, especially in the future. Now, those are near and dear to me. I love them. Most of them came from my dad. I'll segue here to Hawaii was part of my territory for many years in my job, and I used to travel there frequently, say five to six times a year. After the kids were grown, I had the opportunity to bring my wife with me from time to time, and we didn't get to spend much time together when I was working there, but as you can imagine, she didn't mind hanging out in Hawaii or Waikiki Beach alone either. Well, one time I brought her in with me and we flew in on a Saturday because there was a Sunday event I needed to attend. And that happened from time to time. However, I hated traveling on weekends because, you know, I did want some time at home and I traveled a lot. Well, the way the flights worked out, we would arrive about noon in Hawaii time and the time zone was three hours behind. So we had Saturday afternoon, a little time to spend in Waikiki and, and, and Saturday evening, which was a gift for the two of us. Well, when I traveled to Hawaii, I would usually stay somewhere close to Waikiki Beach. I mean, it's great food, all within walking distance and, you know, a, a pleasant atmosphere, really a nice place to hang out. So my bride and I spent a delightful Saturday evening in Waikiki, and we went to bed early because of the time change. And that's the one thing I would try to do, and I would try to delight my wife when I would take her with me, and she would travel. I'd try to get an ocean view room. Well, we were lucky on this trip, and we got upgraded to an Ocean View room over Waikiki Beach at the Sheraton Waikiki, and it was my favorite go-to hotel on the islands, among a couple others, but this was my favorite. Well, it was sometime in the middle of the night on that Saturday night that our phone rang in the hotel room, and, you know, it's always startling when that happens. It was my daughter, and she was frantically telling us about an earthquake in Japan and that there was a tsunami heading straight for Hawaii. Well, it was March 11, 2011, a 9.0 earthquake, and it was now known as the Great Japan Earthquake. It was a devastating event for Japan, in addition to the fact that they had the nuclear power plant meltdown. Well, it caused a tsunami that was heading across the Pacific Ocean to Hawaii, and it was predicted to hit Hilo on the Big Island and then the other islands. <clears throat> Excuse me. They had predicted it down to the minute of when it would hit the islands. Well, we were on the seventh floor of the Sheraton and were notified that the entire Waikiki area of Honolulu would be evacuated from the sixth floor down. 
we just made it to to stay. We just made it barely because we had nowhere to go and we were on the seventh floor. In our minds with this, we went back to the Christmas Eve tsunami in Thailand in 2004. And you may remember it was total devastation. I, you probably remember seeing the clips of the tsunami. In fact, over 230,000 people perished. Well, that was what was in our mind. We were told to fill up the bathtub with water and be prepared to be self-sufficient for six to seven days. Wait, what? Self-sufficient for that long in a small hotel room? Well, there was a curfew given, and we would not, after that, be able to leave the room or the hotel. Well, the early warning sirens were blaring for hours. The police were scouring the streets. It was very surreal. Well, my bride and I thought, well, we need provisions. Well, you know... There used to be a small grocery store several blocks off the ocean in Waikiki, and that's where we headed. I believe it was a food land. Well, we walked there and found a line way around the block from the store, and they were only letting a limited amount of people in at a time. Now, I have to tell you this about my wife. She's my rock. She's made for leadership in every situation, but especially an intense situation. She has been my rock for all the time we've been together, always level-headed and calm. When she would get worried, I'd go, oh, no. Oh, no, this isn't good. We're in trouble. Well, we got into that grocery store, and I had never seen her like this, but she became like this Tasmanian devil, whirling around the grocery store, grabbing what she could. And I was in shock because I'd never seen her in a panic mode before. And it caused me to panic usually, but it was kind of reverse roles for a minute. I, I go, okay. I, I calmly told her, Put the Vienna sausages back because not only had I never eaten one before, it certainly wasn't going to be one of my last meals. So we don't need those. I told her we need peanut butter, bread, and jelly, and some rum. That's a true story. Well, we ended up having to carry all these groceries back to the hotel and set up shop for what we thought was the next week or so. Now, the reason I tell you this story is we were terrified. We were waiting for the tsunami and while it wasn't a non-event, it didn't ever play out to be a huge event either. It reminds me of this pandemic investing period we've been in the last 90 days or so. I and my podcast have said that while the earthquake happened, the tsunami was coming. My wife and I did the same thing as we did in Hawaii when the pandemic hit. We went grocery shopping like everybody else, getting toilet paper and whatever. I've been waiting and waiting, and now that the market has V-recovered, even with all this bad news, I'm like, what? I, you know, what happened to the market? The predictions of how much the market would crater after especially the few, initial few days was rampant. I, I mean, I ducked for cover. I turned stocks into cash position and I waited for the tsunami, just like when we were overlooking the ocean waiting for the tsunami. Well, the tsunami did come, but it was not noticeable. But fortunately, the devastation that we expected didn't happen. It's kind of like this market. As the market crept forward, I invested in many of those great stocks that got hammered. I had pretty quickly turned my cash into beaten down stocks and had been enjoying the ride back up to cover some of my initial losses. I've been asked by many folks who reach out to me and say, when's the next crash coming? I say what I've always said. Who knows when the next tsunami's coming? Who knows when the next earthquake coming? Who knows? Because you just can't see in the future. I always say that the market goes up, the market goes down. I will guarantee you that that's going to happen. So while panic set in downtown Waikiki that day, waiting for the tsunami that never came, or kind of never came, some are still waiting for the pandemic stock tsunami to come. Will it? 
I've changed my opinion a bit. My opinion at this point is unless something again foreseen happens, like a second wave of the virus or another nationwide close down, I think we've seen the worst for this event. It's just my opinion. However, I will say some sectors and companies will have a slow comeback. I've talked about that in previous com- uh, podcasts, casinos, hotels, restaurants. That doesn't mean they're not buying opportunities. I posted po- podcasted several weeks ago about airlines. And while they're not even close to being out of the woods, they have shown some great stock recovery in the past few weeks. Yeah, Boeing, as an example, dropped to 90 as a low in March. And now it's back up over 180 today. I have been consistent saying this. There have simply been so many buying opportunities in the last 60 days. And I say there still are. I was talking to a fellow investor and friend who had me look at Lululemon and Restoration Hardware, both on a perfect V path to recovery, a glorious path to recovery. So what happens in a panic sell like we saw in the pandemic? That selling hits virtually all stocks, whether they deserved it or not. Think of it as a receding ocean tide. A low tide lowers all boats. However, I don't see the rising tide lifting all boats scenario this time. I see stocks that got hit by panic selling are recovering quite nicely because, quite frankly, they didn't deserve to get hit. I felt airlines got hit so substantially that it was worth the risk to invest at those levels. <clears throat> it's panned out so far for me. But oil is still in the weeds and demand and oversupply is still in play. But my favorite in those arenas are Chevron. I think they're dividend safe. And I also bought Exxon. Now, I'm not the only one surprised by this quick recovery. It seems pretty much everyone else has been, too. So I reacted by trimming some profit positions. I sold some profit positions. I sold some losing positions that I thought was dead money. And I bought some new beat-up positions that I didn't think deserved to get beat up. I've been working pretty hard to navigate this environment. But what does that say to a buy and hold or a buy and study position and strategy we've talked about? Well, I just had a buddy call me this morning, and he told me that after the crash in March, he just couldn't look at his portfolio more. It was just too depressing for me. So today he told me that he got the courage to look, and he was way back positive in his positions. He did nothing. He didn't react. In fact, more importantly, he didn't overreact either. He stayed his course. His strategy, buy and hold. And it's worked out for him. Now, whose strategy is right, mine or his? Of course, mine. He doesn't have a podcast. (laughs) I'm just kidding. We we both were because we both executed our strategies for our personal portfolios. I will tell you this. I had a couple of stocks I had to sell because it was going to be dead money for a long time. My buddy, though, had some pretty good stocks in his portfolio. If he didn't have to sell anything, and for the most part, they recovered. So I think he did a pretty good job. Another point I think about in this recovery is that only 54% of Americans are even invested in the stock market. And that's either in individual stocks, mutual funds, or 401ks. I mean, money has still been coming in from employers matching and individual investors have been still flowing in the market. You know, many of the jobs that were lost were service sector and not necessarily 401k-type jobs. Unemployment is at its highs and the government subsidized in unemployment with a $600 a week, and it's going to make some minimum wage jobs hard to fill until the unemployment runs out. You know, and there was also the stimulus checks, and you had the possibility of another. My point is this, that money is still flowing out there. And when we see businesses reopen, people get back to work, I think we'll see a, a, a fairly steady growth back. Remember, I was the one who said this could take five to 10 years. Although, look at the bankruptcies and store closings, J.C. Penney, Pier 1, Neiman Marcus, Nordstrom's, Victoria's Secret, and so many more. I guess 
I could say they couldn't make it five to 10 years. There are, I'm not saying this was a non-event. It was a big event that was unprecedented in the entire world. However, the stock market is made up of great global companies and the strong will survive. My counsel, invest in those. That's why I continually speak to dividend aristocrats and now the dividend kings, which I sent out an email to the investment group the other day. There are stocks that have been paying dividends for 50 plus years consecutively. So now full stop, and I don't want to get on a rant to this again, but as you know, I've been, you know, listen, if you've been listening to my podcast, you know, I've been hesitant to talk about individual stocks because I just don't want anybody to think that I have some kind of expertise. Uh, I'm not an expert. I want to teach you how to buy and evaluate your own stock picks. In fact, my beginner's guide is just that. This is just info to get you started in the market, especially when picking individual stocks. We all know the old boring companies on the aristocrat list, but what about the new and up and comers? And what about Zoom, you know, with this pandemic situation? What about Shopify, which I spoke to in the last podcast? What about Beyond Meat? Well, Beyond Meat, I'll talk about in a minute. But since it's IPO, which is an initial public offering, and I can talk about that in another podcast at some point, but Beyond Meat's gone up over 500%. I received an investor email about them and they asked me what I thought about a plant-based future for me. Well, I'm only qualified to give my opinion. This is the kind of stock that makes people rich, maybe. But when I even try and look at the metrics, they simply are not many data points for me and makes it uninvestable. It's kind of like Shopify. For you, obviously, that depends on your own risk assessment, how this fits in your portfolio. I would tell you, I would love to tell you, buy this stock as a spec stock and put a small amount into it. But I don't think I can buy it myself. But I may. I, I don't know. I'll tell you this story. I live in California, and marijuana became legal a couple of years ago. While the U.S. government still has marijuana as a class one drug, and it's illegal by federal law, it's now illegal in, what, California, Oregon, uh, Colorado, and several other states. Now, I know the federal law is a big one, because without it, there's no banking, and it becomes a cash business. Well, I thought a while ago this is and was the next gold rush. Still may be but it sure hasn't played out that way so far. My point isn't to get into all the details about this particular investment. My point is this. I thought looking forward, this could be the place to hit it big. The new wave, the new normal for marijuana. So I did invest a couple of years ago. I didn't get hurt much because I got out fairly early, but I did convince my son who was in his 20s at the time that he should invest in some of these stocks. He did. And they have turned out to this point to be his biggest losers. Time will tell, but let's say it this way. I'm not Nostradamus. So I'll stick to the boring, slow and steady, move up the hill strategy. Do I say don't invest? No. If it feels right for you, then do it. Would I make this my first investment in the stock market? No. And in fact, my four-month-old grandson has a trust account for him, and he just made his first investments in the stock market, and he is now a stockholder at four months old. You don't have no idea how I beam with pride over that for my son doing that and his grandfather on the other side, helping him out. Well, anyway, probably not. And that's why I teach a solid and methodical approach to investing and not a gold rush investment strategy. So in conclusion, I'm going to wrap up this podcast by saying, I think I'm going to take a couple months off podcasting, maybe the summer. While the pandemic seems to be lifting here in my county in California, it feels like we're getting a, a bit back to normal my wife and have been my wife and I have been to a couple of restaurants in the last couple of days. A little bit different, but you know, still nice to get out. 
Still haven't held my grandson, but and that's out of abundance of caution. I'm okay with that. I want him to be healthy. I'm hoping that the next few months will be better for all of us across the world and that our investments are our biggest concerns and not our health anymore. Because of this investment thing, it's just fun and it's easy. I'll hopefully be back. In the meantime, I'll still push out in front of the email group. I have lots of stories left in me that I must, not must, but I want to tell at some point. I just told you about the Hawaii tsunami, but I also got stuck in Detroit on 9-11 and took me a week to get home. I've been in three hotel fires that with forced evacuations. I've been in too many plane emergency landings to count. But I'm privileged at 63 years old to have technology to get in my investment strategy out across the world. It's now approaching 70,000 downloads and I'm humbled. I love getting emails about your stories, your life and your investments. I love that you may have received some value from my knowledge. Now take it for us worth, but it's just like dad let go of the back of your bike and now you pedal, you steer. It's your destiny. You are in control. Take control of it. Believe in yourself, trust your instincts, and be decisive. And at the end, I'll leave you with this. Love yourself first, and then love others. Always, but especially in these times. God bless you all. This is John Cook, signing out.